welcome to you. I hope you feel welcome. hope you get a chance to meet some people today, and I hope you're encouraged by, by what we do here. Um, we do have a gift for you, if this is your first time, just to say thanks for coming. So you can pick that, out, uh, pick that up as you go out the doors, just right at that info desk. We'd love to meet you and, and, and give that to you as well. So uh, Redemption Church is one church. We're multiple congregations. Right now there are seven congregations across the state, most of them in Phoenix, one in Flagstaff. And uh, we're the Gateway Congregation. We're trying to train more leaders and, and build into more uh, folks so that we can launch more churches and congregations. And, and God is doing a great work among us. So we're glad that you're part of that. Grab the program that you got when you came in today. Uh, it says pictures of the kingdom there on the front. And uh, as you open that up, uh, you'll see a few things. Uh, at the bottom, as you open that, is this uh, connection card. And that's designed to easily detach. You can fill that out and then just tear it off. And uh, as you leave today, just drop it into the giving mailboxes that are there right by the door, and that would be kind of just a way to communicate with us. We'd love, you to, uh, we'd love to be able to meet you and, uh, and get your information. We'd also love to be able to pray for you, and you can write some of that on the back as well. If you need a pen to fill that out with, just put your hand up. The ushers have pens, and uh, they're not going to, you know, shout out like in a baseball game, peanuts, lemonade, you know, but they've got pens, and they've got Bibles for you. So if you need that, just, just raise your hand, and, and they'll be happy to get that stuff uh, to you. A couple of uh, important things coming up here, but one I want to highlight is uh, Ladies' Night. Uh, ladies' Night Out is Tuesday, June 3rd. That's coming up here uh, pretty soon. So ladies, uh, we would love for you to be able to participate in this. Uh, single guys, you're not welcome to come to this, even though it would be a target-rich environment. Ladies' Night Out. Um, <laughs> Ladies Night Out, this is for you gals, and we would love for you to be able to come. It's, it's really just designed to be a fun environment for you to connect with some people, maybe meet some new friends, uh, maybe uh, connect with some old friends. Maybe you have some friends that don't go to the church and you want to kind of introduce them to some of your Christian friends. This would be a great place to bring them as well. It's food you didn't prepare. Uh, stuff you didn't have to plan, so hopefully it just can be relaxing and enjoyable for you. Uh, you can go online to register at redemptionaz.com, and the, the registration deadline for that is May 27th, so make sure you uh, take a look at that. Some other things going on here in, in the program as well to, to catch up with, and I'll let you do that kind of on your own. Today's going to be the last message in our series, Pictures of the Kingdom. Next week, I just want to tell you what we're doing. Next week, we're going to be looking at Psalm 130, just a standalone message on Psalm 130, and a number of of significant Christians in history, some that you maybe have even heard of and know about, would say that Psalm 130 is their favorite portion of Scripture. So we're going to look at that next week. And then the week after that, two weeks from today, uh, we will be back into Romans chapter 9. And so if you want to be reading in Romans 9, you can kind of get ahead and get a little bit of a feel of where we're headed. Uh, but for now, go ahead and grab your Bible and open it as we stand together. Open it up to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look at verse 44 today. If you have one of the black hardcover Bibles, that's page 819. Matthew 13, 44. And as we read, remember, we're reading God's Word. This is Jesus speaking. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's God's word. You may be seated. It's a short verse there, right? It's not like uh, a few weeks ago when we read Nehemiah 3 for like 10 minutes. 
right? This is a short one. Uh, one verse, just a couple of sentences here. We've been looking at these different uh, stories, these different pictures, these illustrations that Jesus Christ is giving us about the kingdom of God, about uh, what God's salvation is like. That's what this series has been. We've been looking at a number of them through Matthew 13, and uh, a lot of them have been longer. They've been longer stories. Some of them even, even had these longer explanations. This is one verse, two sentences, but in this verse, and I, I hesitate to I don't want to try to overstate it, but, but this is significant. In this verse, I think you have perhaps the best description of what it is to be a follower of Christ, of the experience that you have in coming to Christ, as well as the experience that you have in continuing to trust Christ with your life. Now, you might point to other verses or want to argue or debate about that. We could, we could That'd be a fun conversation to figure out which verse is the best. I don't know. But this is a really good one. This is significant. And it's a simple, short, easy-to-understand story packed with tremendous significance. So again, just uh, to look at it, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. So the story's pretty easy to understand. A guy is out in a field, and uh, he's maybe working it. Maybe he's walking along. Maybe he's sort of uh, going, going through. We don't know exactly what's happening, but he sees something. Something catches his eye. Maybe it glimmers, or, or he's dug in, and, and the shovel kind of hits, hits something hard. You don't know exactly how this happened. He, it's not like he was looking for treasure. It's not like he was out for this. He just sort of stumbles in to this treasure. And he digs it up, and, and, and we might go, well, gosh, why would treasure be hidden in a field? This seems ridiculous. Um, but actually, in those days, it was very common for people to bury treasure in a field. Because think about this. Your assets in those days were not sort of credit. They were actual physical stuff, right? Physical things. That's, that's what your wealth was contained in. It was your actual silver, your actual gold, your actual gems and jewels. And so it would be very common. You didn't have a bank that you could store that stuff in. It would be common that people would put it in the field. Often they would bury it there in case if they were ransacked by an opposing village or army or something like that, at least the, the, the people wouldn't get it out of their home. They wouldn't be able to access it. So this guy's walking along, he's doing whatever he's doing, and he stumbles into this treasure. And he looks at it. And he realizes this is no ordinary treasure. This is not just sort of a you know, a silver dollar on the side of the road that he finds. This is significant. And so what he does is he sees this incredible treasure. He's got to be thinking, why has nobody found this? What's, what's going on? And he decides to cover it back up. He wants to make sure no one else can get it. And then it says he goes and he finds all of his assets, all the things that he has, and he sells those in order to buy this field, in order to acquire this field. That's the story. It's very simple, very straightforward. There's a group uh, a number of years ago that put together some short films called Modern Parables. You can Google these if you want. There are six or seven of them where they've basically taken stories that Jesus told, these parables Jesus told, and put them in kind of modern-day settings. And I thought about showing the, the one for, for this particular parable, but it's just longer than I thought we had time for. Um, but, but let me just summarize kind of what happens. The way that they've told the story, kind of updated into our world, is that there's this guy who's a commercial real estate agent. And he's got this piece of property that he's showing uh, to, to some potential buyers. And, and it's, it's kind of this wasteland downtown area. It's right by the freeway, really loud. They want to develop homes and things there. And it's just really not a good thing. And, and they, don't, they don't like it. But in the process, he drops his cell phone. And he goes back and he goes to look for it. And he finds his phone. And it's covered in this, in this black, sticky 
slick stuff. He begins to go, hmm, and he smells it, and you know, he gets down, and he starts to kind of touch, the, touch it and feels all these things and goes, what is this? And he scoops some of it out, he, and he, he goes, this is oil. He goes home to his wife, and his wife's got a number of these little kids, and they're running around, and, and the you know, little boy thinks it's like dragon snot or something, so he's trying to wipe it on his sister and, and all this stuff. And he's telling his wife, honey, I found oil in the city. We've got to buy this place. And she's going, that's crazy. It's not oil. It's just industrial waste. You're nuts. Well, he, he figures out through a geologist at the local university, this is actually oil. Now, he won't tell him where he found it. He actually blindfolds him when he takes him out there because he doesn't want anyone else to get it. And he finds out this actually is oil. And so he goes back to his wife and he says, this is oil, and here's how much this property costs. And they start doing the math. And what they realize is they have to sell everything, right? So he goes to his wife saying, honey, I've got this incredible, can't-miss investment. We've got to invest in it. Ladies, some of you have had this conversation with your husbands, right? And the can't-miss investment, right? How does that usually turn out, right? But he's going, we have to do this. And they're adding it all up, and they, they start trying to sell everything. So there's a for sale sign out front, and they start having this yard sale. And their friends are coming up to them going, what's this we hear about you, you know, an oil investment? You're crazy. My uncle lost his shirt on that, and there's no way you should do this, and blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out, sure enough, it is oil, and they buy this, and, uh, you know, they've got this incredible field. That's, that's a modern-day kind of telling of this same story. You get the picture. You get what's going on. And in this story, this simple, easy, short story, you get the essence of what it is to follow Christ. So here's what I want to look at uh, from this story, trying to connect this to our particular uh, situation in our lives, is I want to look at this. Uh, what the treasure is, what the treasure costs, and why the cost is worth it. What the treasure is, what the treasure costs, and why the treasure is worth it. Again, Jesus in these parables has been telling us about the kingdom of heaven, and that's just shorthand for God's salvation, the way that God is working to rescue sinners out of, out of their love of the world and their love of created things and into a relationship with God where they would love him, their creator. And so it says in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is equating God's salvation with treasure? Well, what is the treasure of God's salvation. The treasure of God's salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you may hear that word. Maybe you've heard the word gospel before. Maybe you've been on our website and it says gospel-centered, outward-focused. But I don't want to assume that everybody knows what that word means. The word gospel means good news. It's about something that's happened in history. And the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is specifically the idea that because man had rejected God, God has sent his own son, Jesus, into the world to live a perfect life, to die the death that we deserve to die because of our sin, and to be raised again, and that whoever would trust in him would have eternal life, restored relationship with God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel is the treasure of God's salvation. It's the treasure of the kingdom of God. And what makes the gospel so good is Jesus. The heart of the treasure, if you will, is Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like someone who finds Jesus. Jesus is the treasure Jesus is the person that we love. Jesus is the one we adore. The kingdom of heaven 
is like a person who finds Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Do you see Jesus as a treasure? I've been thinking about this. What, what is it that I treasure about Jesus? Whenever we uh, have someone be baptized, they fill out a form that kind of tells their story. And, and one of the things they always write is, Jesus is my treasure because blank. How would you answer that? Well, for me, I've been thinking about it. Jesus is my treasure first and foremost, top of the list, because he, through his life and death and resurrection, has given me access to God. God is for me rather than against me. God is not looking to punish me because he already punished Christ for me. And now God is pouring out blessing of his presence and his love on me, the promise that he will never leave or forsake me. That is a huge reason I treasure Jesus. But as I think about Jesus himself, as I read his stories in the pages of Scripture, I just, there's all these other things I love. I treasure, I love how wise Jesus is. I mean, people are trying to trap him and get him and get him to say something, and he always sees through their junk. He just he never is, like, gullible enough to fall for it, right? I love how wise he is. I love how penetrating he is. You know, he just gets to the heart of the issue. It's like there's all this fluff, there's all this stuff, and he just gets to it. I love how subversive Jesus is. I love that, you know, just when you think you know exactly what he's going to do, he does something else, right? You can't pin him down, right? I always think it's funny when people go, well, what would Jesus do? That's a great question, but it's not that easy to figure out. Usually people say it to mean, be nice to your sister. Well, there was a lot of times when Jesus wasn't all that nice, like when he was calling the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. You're like whitewashed tombs. Right? I mean, there's this edge to Jesus where he's really tender with the hurting and the vulnerable people, and he's really kind of tough and edgy with the people that think they're all great. And there's just always this sense of you can't totally figure him out. I love how honest Jesus is. Right? You never get the sense that he's just sugarcoating it to make people like him better. Right? And how often do we do that? How often do we try to paint ourselves in a, just a little better light? Jesus never did that. Even his critics said, Jesus, we know that you don't really care what people think about you, and you always tell the truth. I love that. And I love his courage. This is not just little Jesus, meek and mild. He was courageous. He was bold. He had the boldness to tell people that he knew wanted to kill them, that they were far from God. He had the courage when he saw all this injustice going on in the temple to make a whip of cords, right? There's an intentional, fierce kind of anger to that. And he went in there and he turned over the tables, right, with a weapon, with a whip. I mean, this is a courageous, bold guy. Love that about Jesus. What do you love about Jesus? So you think about him, what is he like? Why is he potentially a treasure for you? There's an author uh, and a pastor named Jared Wilson, and uh, Josh Watt referenced this in one of his sermons some months ago, that, that Jared Wilson likes to tweet out things about his friend Jesus. I love my friend Jesus because, and you can go on his blog site and you can read all these uh, dozens of, of reasons why he says he loves Jesus. I wanted to pull out and just share with you a few of my favorites um, as I went through that list. There's just some incredible things that he has to say about, about his friend Jesus. Here's what he says, first thing. I love my friend Jesus because he knows everything I've ever thought and still doesn't cross the street to avoid me when he sees me coming. That's amazing. He says, my friend Jesus, he's a storm-hushing, tomb-busting, dragon-crushing brother. 
This is great news. I love my friend Jesus because he took my death, even though he had plenty of time to think it over and every reason to say no. I love my friend Jesus because he never checks his watch while I'm talking to him. Or you could say his phone, right? Like, he's never going, hey, hold on, hold on a minute. i got to take a more important call. He never does that. He's here for us. I love my friend Jesus because when I, this is, I love this one. This one's really fun. I love my friend Jesus because when I enter the room, he doesn't shake his head and mutter, this guy, but smiles and shouts, this guy. Isn't that a great picture? I love that. I love my friend Jesus because he just straight up, no hesitations, no qualifications, no ifs, ands, or buts, loves me. I love my friend Jesus because while many give me trouble, he gives me rest. And finally, I love my friend Jesus because he is infinitely rich with grace and a big spender. Have you thought about why you love Jesus? Have you thought about why Jesus is a treasure? See, the treasure of this story What Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is like someone that found Jesus. But it doesn't just stop there. Because there's a cost involved in this. There's a cost in coming to Christ. There's a cost in following Christ. So what the treasure costs, secondly, what it costs, according to this verse, is your whole life. Look at verse 34. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which man found and covered up Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It costs this man everything. And Jesus' point here is not saying that in order to become a Christian, you have to sell all your possessions and take a vow of poverty. There's only one person in the Scripture that he told to do that. That was the rich young ruler. The the illustration here is to say getting this treasure means you give up everything. It costs you your whole life. Right, we have this saying we say around here a lot. Some of you have the t-shirt on. All of life is all for Jesus. We love that phrase. And a lot of what it means when we say that is that all the different realms, all the different areas of life matter, right? Life matters when you're here on Sunday. It matters when you're at work. It matters when you're at home. It matters when you're at the park. It matters when you're driving. It matters in all these places. All of life in every sphere, in every realm, it's all for Jesus. But, but the other part that that phrase means is all of your life. All of it. Not just the religious part of your life. Not just the financial part of your life. All of it is for Jesus. That's the cost of the treasure. Now, you don't earn this treasure by being willing to pay that cost. Jesus has earned it for you on the cross. He's the one who is rich, infinitely rich in grace and a big spender. And he's done that. But trusting him with your life, the way Jesus describes real trust is that real trust is saying, I'll give up everything else to have him. He is my ultimate treasure. Here's the way I wrote this down, and I think this is, an, this is a very critical point and a critical distinction that you have to see. I think we need to understand this. Seeing Jesus as a treasure doesn't make you a Christian. Jesus says what makes you a Christian is seeing him as a treasure worth giving everything to have. Do you get the difference? A lot of people go, oh, yeah, Jesus is a treasure. Jesus is amazing. But I don't really want to give him all of my life. I just want to give him this little sliver. Okay, well, you're not a Christian then, according to Jesus. Treasuring Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. Treasuring Jesus to the point where you would give up everything to have him, Christian. 
It's a very important and very critical distinction. See, this isn't about just adding Jesus into your life, like sort of sprinkling, sprinkling a little Jesus in. This is about a total renovation, a total remodel, right? A lot of you would love to have this opportunity to kind of add on to your house or, you know, remake a particular room. But Jesus doesn't just want to remake a little part. He doesn't want to just add into your life. He's coming with a bulldozer. And then he's rebuilding this whole new thing. It's why the scripture says that we're born again. It says that we're new creations in Christ. It's not just we're changed, though we are, but we're changed and made new. It, it's, it's totally not, give me just a little dab of Jesus. See, and this was the thing that I had to learn when I came to Christ. See, I had all these times when I was a kid. I went to church with my parents, and I can remember going to things like Vacation Bible School, and I can remember going to a Billy Graham uh, crusade and, and coming forward. And I had all these moments where I told my mom, hey, I asked Jesus into my heart. And I had all those things. But you know what I was doing in all of those moments? I, I saw, yeah, Jesus, he's important. He's, he's great. I want to sprinkle him into my life. And then when I was a junior in high school, I had a neighbor who got involved in my life and really got to know me. And we started reading the Gospel of John. And he started kind of probing into kind of who I was and what I was really about. And as we got into John chapter 6, he said, you know what? I think, these weren't his exact words, but essentially I think you just want to sprinkle Jesus in. I think you just want Jesus because he makes you look like a nicer person or because he might help your baseball career. But my question is, are you willing to give all of yourself to Jesus? And I got real defensive. Oh, how dare you question whether I'm a Christian? And some of you are feeling that right now. And it was like, oh, I don't know. But, but after weeks of wrestling through that, I realized he was right. I wanted a little bit of Jesus, but I didn't want to surrender everything else to have him. And that's the cost of the treasure is your whole life. Tim Keller says it this way, spiritual treasure never improves you. It always completely remakes you. It's not about improvement. It's about totally being remade. And what has to happen in order for this to, to, to take place is that you have to see Jesus as a better treasure than all the other things you already treasure. Right? And we all have things we treasure, don't we? I mean, we could just go around and say, well, this is really important to me. Right? We would have things like my family really matters to me, and I love my kids. I treasure them. But I had this great moment watching my girls yesterday do this musical theater thing, and especially my oldest is like, she's made to do that. I treasure these moments, and I treasure these opportunities for them, right? Some of you on your list of things you treasure would be your job, and it would be maybe friends or relationships that you have, and there would be all these different things that we treasure. And what Jesus is saying is in order to follow him, we have to be willing to place all those things on the table, and say, even if I don't get to hang on to these treasures, it's worth it because I get this treasure. How do you figure out what you treasure? How do you figure out now what are the things you really treasure? Well, there's two tests you can take. The first one I would call the solitude test. And think about it this way. If you, if you had a few moments alone, quiet, nothing to do, some of you moms with young kids are like, yeah, right. When would that ever happen? But if you just were by yourself and you didn't have anything that you had to think about, you could just kind of daydream. Where would those go? Where would those daydreams go? Those might be things you treasure. You know, someday I'd like to be able to retire with this kind of a lifestyle. I want to be able to travel. 
or I want to be able to see my kids do such and such, or I'd love to be able to start this or have this job. Or, I mean, maybe those are some things. Those are some things you treasure. And when you come to Christ, what you're saying is, Jesus, those are on the table. Maybe I never get to go to Europe. Maybe I never get to retire and I just have to keep working till I die. Maybe I'll never be in a job I love. Maybe life will always be a grind, but Jesus, it's worth it because you're my treasure. That's the solitude test. The second test, this one's a little scarier, is the nightmare test. Think about it. What are your biggest nightmares? What are the things that you are most afraid of? The things that you would go, if this ever happened to me, I don't know if I can go on. If this ever happened to my kids, or if my spouse ever said or did this, or if I ever got this kind of sickness, or, I mean, whatever it is, you get, just went, if, I, if, I, if this happened to me, it would be awful. That reveals things you treasure. Right? You treasure your health. You treasure your kids. You treasure your spouse. And coming to Christ means you put that on the table. Say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you with these things. Now, here's what's interesting is as you treasure Jesus, it actually helps you to steward all those other treasures better. But becoming a Christian and trusting Christ with your life is saying, if all of this doesn't turn out the way I want, he's still my treasure. Boy, that's a heavy cost, isn't it? This is not as easy as just, hey, let me sprinkle in a little Jesus. This is, he's asking for everything. The Apostle Paul saw this, and he said it's totally worth it. Philippians chapter 3, he's recounting all these incredible blessings that he has and all the pedigree and all the, the, the privilege and all the things that he has. And here's what he says in Philippians 3, 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says, I have this incredible privilege. I've had this incredible life. I've had these incredible comforts. And you know what they are to me? Garbage compared to Jesus. The, the, the word rubbish there literally in the King James says dung. It's worthless. It says these incredible things that used to be incredibly valuable to me. I don't even care. Why? Because they're so bad? No, not because they're bad, right? It's not like all these things we treasure are bad. But compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, nothing. I take it, Paul says. He says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's saying I trust Jesus so much that I will gladly entrust all these things that I can't control anyway to him. And if he gives me what I want, great. And I'll praise him for it. And if he doesn't, great, because I get him. That is so much easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, if do you treasure Jesus like that? Hope. You know? And, and sometimes you don't know that Jesus is all you have until he's all you have. And so God is gracious to us, even in suffering, even in pain. One of the things that that does, the Scripture says, is it refines us. And it helps us to see, oh yeah, I, Jesus is really my treasure. 
You can have all the world. Give me Jesus. Jesus is the treasure. The cost is everything. But the cost is worth it. The cost is worth it. Here's why. I want you to imagine two scenarios. Here's the first, first scenario. I I'm, I'm, uh, get the chance uh, soon to go to San Diego, which I'm really excited about. Kind of a last getaway with Molly before we have the baby and are homebound for the summer. Um, I talked to some people who said, man, it feels like everyone I know in my life but me is going to San Diego. So, sorry. <laughs> uh, maybe you'll get to go later. But imagine I came to you and said, hey, come with me to San Diego. I want to sell you something. I got something that you're going to love. It's incredible. Come out to the beach with me. And we go out to the beach. I say, hey, I've got a great deal for you. This is going to be amazing. The fourth wave that comes in, it's yours. I'll sell it to you. Right? And you go, okay, one, two. And I'm going, man, look at it. It's frothy. It's beautiful. Look, it's so shiny and beautiful. Two, three. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here it is. You want to buy it? What would all of you say? You're psycho. What, what am I doing on the beach with you? You might kill me and bury me here. Like, that's a <laughs> terrible idea, right? Now, the, is, the beautiful, is the ocean beautiful? Yeah. Is the ocean majestic and powerful? Yeah. But why would you not want to buy the fourth wave of it? Because you can't, and because the fourth wave comes out and becomes the fifth wave, and it just, it, it's not anything. It doesn't last, right? It would be like going outside and saying, hey, I want to sell you that cloud. Well, it's a vapor, it's a mist. Well, do you know what the Scripture says? Your life is a vapor. All men are like grass, here today, gone tomorrow. The grass withers, the flower fades, the Word of God stands forever. So, so whatever we treasure here, it's temporary, it's fleeting, it's passing away. That's the first scenario. Second scenario is imagine you've been diagnosed with a terminal disease, and it will kill you. And a doctor, someone that knows what they're talking about, maybe a doctor from the Mayo Clinic or somewhere really important, you know, not like your, not your brother or your uncle who's like emailing you, hey, have you tried juicing? You know, but like <laughs> someone that knows what they're talking about actually. And they come to you and they say, hey, I have a cure for that. We have a cure for that. And you go, awesome, that's incredible. How, what do I do? And they say, well, here's what you have to do. Here's the thing. It's going to cost you everything. It's so expensive, everything. You've got to sell your house. You're going to have to sell your cars. You're going to have to cash in your life insurance. You're going to have to cash in your retirement. It's going to cost you everything. What would you do? You'd do it. Why? Because it's so valuable, right? There's a value to that. You'd go, I, I'm, I'm willing to pay that because it's so valuable. See, the cost here of your whole life, having your whole life rearranged, having your whole life remade by Jesus, it is worth it. Jesus says this. There's a clue here to this idea. It's a little phrase that you almost, if, if you read it over and over, you just read it fast, you might miss it. It's right here in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then, here it is, in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is not a guy going, i got to sell everything I have to get that treasure. This is a guy going, take it. I don't need this. It's rubbish compared to the treasure. 
In his joy, he is eager, he is excited to do it. And that's what following Christ is like. Even though you're saying, I'm putting my job, I'm putting my career, I'm putting my kids, I'm putting my future, I'm putting a future potential spouse, I'm putting it all on the table, God, and I'm trusting you with it, but you're my treasure. Jesus says, perfect. You've got the best thing. Be joyful about that, right? This actually helps us make sense of a verse that otherwise to me doesn't make sense in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, where Jesus is talking about the cost of discipleship. He says, if anyone is going to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus says, you want to be my follower? You want to be my disciple? Here's the cost. Deny yourself. My dreams, my hopes, my future, God, it's yours. Take up your cross. That's a method of execution, right? Take up your electric chair. Die to yourself daily. Die to your hopes. Die to your needs. Die to your feelings. Die to all that stuff and say, I'm yours. That's what it is to follow Christ. You go, that's, that's crazy. Why would you do that? In your joy, you would do that because the treasure is so worth it. That's why Jesus follows that call to discipleship. And the very next thing he says, what, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? If you seek to hold on to your life, you'll lose it. If you seek to lose your life for my sake, you'll gain it. Right? This is all through Jesus' teaching. This is what it is to follow Christ. You see him as a treasure. It's a heavy cost, but you joyfully pay it because he's worth it. Because whatever you're going to get, you know it's better. If I get him, it's better. Do you believe that? I saw a fantastic uh, tweet this week by Louis Giglio. who runs the Passion Movement. I just loved what he had to say. He said, people who want to go to heaven but don't like Jesus won't like heaven very much. Because the treasure of heaven is Jesus. Do, do you see the joy that's offered to you? I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He says this, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Jesus is the holiday at the sea. Let go of the other things, as wonderful as they may be. In comparison, they're rubbish. They're mud pies in a slum. The one who created you, who holds everything by the word of his power, who proved his love to you on the cross, who is infinitely rich in grace and a big spender, he is coming to you and saying, I'm a treasure. I'll satisfy you. It'll be better. It'll be worth it. Trust me. So today... You've been walking along, you end up here, and maybe you come here regularly, maybe you're a guest, maybe someone bribed you, they said, hey, you know, come, we'll take you to lunch after, hey, you'll, there's a lot of, you know, cute guys here, and you can meet one of them, and I don't know what, how you got here, but you, you, here's what happened today. You stumbled upon a treasure, and I've spent the last 30 minutes trying to tell you what a great treasure it is, and, and what are you going to do? You've stumbled into Jesus. What are you going to do with them? 
Some of you, you you've, you've had times in your life where you go, I treasure Jesus and, I've, and I trust him, but you've sort of forgotten how sweet he is. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? See, Jesus, this kind of treasure, right? you find a treasure like this, it demands a response. You don't go, huh, interesting, and just keep going. Demands some kind of response. Here's how Tim Keller describes this response. He says, nobody has ever really looked at Jesus Christ and understood who he is and what he's saying and responded moderately to him. Read the Bible. Anybody who ever heard Jesus Christ, anybody, They either ran away from him in fear, or they tried to kill him in anger, or they threw everything down and they gave him everything. Anybody who doesn't do one of those three things is not listening. If you find yourself in a place where you're going, eh, whatever, I don't know, then start listening. Open the pages of Scripture. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Get to know this Jesus. He is a treasure. You've got to see him. And at least walk away angry. Say, no, I don't buy all that. I don't like all this. But don't be, eh. Don't be blah. Have a response. Have something. And here's what I want. I want you to see Jesus as a treasure. I want you to be part of the kingdom of heaven. We want you in. Jesus wants you in. He's saying, I'm worth it. Trust me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is a treasure. God, I, I, my desire for me personally is that I would treasure you even more. God, that I would see Jesus as the treasure that he is and that you would allow me to trust you even more with my life. God, for those who are here and have not ever trusted Christ before, God, I pray that as your spirit is stirring their hearts that they would respond in trust to you. There aren't any magic things they have to say. They just have to trust you. And you say, Jesus, you're my treasure. And Father, for those of us who have experienced that before and, and are, are, are reawakened to that, would we just be reminded that following you is worth it. And even in the pain and even in the difficulty and even if our dreams get totally dashed, we have you and you're enough. Would you encourage us with that? Would you remind us of that? We ask in Jesus' great name, amen. 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 So Jesus gave all of himself to purchase all of us, um, and that's good news. So hopefully the Spirit is uh, stirring in your heart, and hopefully um, as you've heard some of the things that Jesus said and some of Luke's comments about that, um, hopefully that raises some tension for you to deal with, and and we want to give you some time now in this moment to do that. we're going to take some time to respond uh, to this message. And we're going to do that in a number of ways. We'll sing here in a moment. And um, when we do, it's a great opportunity to really, in a small way, put this into practice and say, God, I'm giving you all of myself. I'm not going to hold anything back. So worship him with your posture and your physical posture as well as your heart. And worship him with your your voice as well as your mind. Um, we'll have an opportunity to, to give him all of us in that way in just a moment. We we'll also uh, respond through giving, and there's giving boxes in the back. If you're a regular part of the, the church here, that's a great way of giving yourself to the Lord as a, as a thanksgiving offering, as a, as a response to what he's done. And, and then lastly, we're going to take communion, and communion's a, a, an incredible picture of, of this truth. Uh, Jesus gave himself fully 
his body and, and his blood, his, his very life pictured in the, the cracker that you'll get in a moment and the cup of juice representing the, the blood that he shed uh, to purchase you and to pay uh, your debts before the Lord. His body was given to, to make you righteous so that you could come before God and his blood was shed to, to pay the penalty for the sin that you've committed. And so if that's your... Um, if that's your belief, if that's your testimony, that Jesus did that on your behalf and he is now your treasure, uh, take those communion elements that the ushers will bring forward in just a moment and, and we want to invite you to, to take communion. If that's not your story, if you're not there yet, if you would say, yeah, I, 